Luke chapter 7 is one passage we just want to share with you for a moment, and then Romans chapter 12, dealing with a compelling church community. We want to talk about uh, a community given by God. We had our statement of faith, which we'll read that real quickly. If we can go back there, Joshua, the purpose of this church shall be to glorify God. Amen. It shall seek to attain this and through the public worship of God, the preaching of the scriptures, consistent Christian living by its members, personal evangelism, missionary endeavors, and Christian education. All those things are great. That's what we want to be about. We want to be about, somebody would say, we want to be about my father's kingdom and serving him. And that pretty much outlines what uh, we see as the ministries and the things that we as a local church here planted in Wilmington, Ohio. These are things that we should be about. And these are things that, that mark a true uh, church in this year of 2016 and beyond. We want to be that type of church. Matthew, Luke chapter 7 is what we picked up. Just the very last part of that, uh, you've heard it a couple weeks now, so I'm not going to read a, a whole section here. But the fact that uh, in verse 47, he's, Jesus speaking, says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, Who is this? Who is, even, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She didn't come to Jesus to, to seek forgiveness. She already had been forgiven. You say, How do you know that, Pastor? Because what Jesus says to her at the very end, her faith of what she had received has saved her. And Jesus just simply tells her, go in peace. She wasn't not anointing his feet and using her hair with the tears on his feet to get it. She already had been given. Because what Jesus was trying to say is, those who, look what he says here. He says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which were many, are forgiven. And because of that, of the forgiveness she received, she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, talks about the marks of a Christian, what, what makes us unique, what makes us different. Last week we talked about forgiveness of God. Today we want to talk about our love. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly love, affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Everything about the love of a Christian is a total opposite of what the world says. There's no way in our right, if, we were, if we're not right with God, there's no way that if our enemy is hungry, we're going to feed him. There's no way if our enemy is thirsty that we're going to give him a treat. In fact, we would want to do just the opposite. We're not going to try to help our enemy out. We're trying to, we want him to be destroyed. We want to press him down. We want to annihilate that person. But if we are to have the marks of a church that is a compelling church community, we have to be the total opposite of what the world says. And one of the things, if, if you've been coming to Sunday school and even on Wednesday nights sometimes, one of the things that I keep kind of repeating is when you look at the New Testament, when you look at the Word of God, some of the things that God says we as Christians, what we do sometimes, you would think he was talking to people who are in the world. But the same problems that sometimes exist in the world is the same problems that sit here in our church. And all these things that he talks about, he said, if you want to know what the marks of a, of a true Christian is, listen. He says, let love be genuine. Don't fake it. You know, don't try to pretend that you have it when you don't. Let it be genuine. We all gravitate. We all come to this place. We ought to have a genuine type of love for one another. We ought to abhor what is evil. We ought to hold fast to what is good. Evil ought not to be something that we want to hold on to, but we ought to cling to that which is good. You know what he says? Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, somebody gives somebody honor. He says, outdo what somebody else is. Show them even more so, more grace and more outdoing of giving honor to that person. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Don't be lazy in our efforts but be fervent. We ought to be coming with a sense of, of, of excitement and a sense of expectation and a sense of this is a great place to be. I, we ought to have a sense that there is no other place I would rather be on a Sunday morning than in my home church listening to the word of God being preached and taught and celebrating as a, as a, as a worship team and the praise team sings. I just There's no other place I want to be. And the thing I, I was thinking about in the last couple of weeks, I said, as much... As much preparation is being made for this day in the world for the Super Bowl, we ought to have just that more preparation for each Sunday that we come to the house of God. Have you already, have I already prepared our hearts and our minds to come in this place and say, no matter what has gone on this past week, I'm coming to the house of God. I'm going to raise my hands, clap my hands, sing with the best of my voice, and uplift praise to God because I thank him for what he has done. I thank him for what he is doing, and I don't know what this day or tomorrow or the rest of this year or even five years old, but I'm going to thank him for that. 
Some of us will be sitting around our television sets at 6 o'clock watching this game that's been anticipated, broke down. They've analyzed every single thing about this game. There's not much they can talk about from the number of hot dogs to the number of wings that will be cooked. I mean, you name it, they've already analyzed it. But some of us will be sitting around our television sets, and when the game starts going, whatever team you're choosing for, whoever wins, whatever that is, God bless you. I'm not going to pick any sides. But whoever that is, you're going to get into it. You're going to, when they make a bad play, go, oh, no, no, no. And when they do good, you're going to say, yes. And what I shared, one of the questions that we had at this, at this panel discussion is one of the young people asked, why is it that churches are so reserved and so quiet? Why does it seem like when we have worship service, there's no, nobody wants to participate? And yeah, I told him, I said, well, uh, my, my background is that we as a, as, as a black people, we as a, a race, we are akin to the Jewish people. I said, they were very demonstrative in their celebration. I said, he says, make a what? Joyful noise. Now, people will come to me, and people have said that I understand it, but I'm not going to believe that lie because it's a lie from the devil. That, Pastor, I'm not expressive. I don't clap. I don't raise my hands. I don't say amen. I just eternalize all this. It's all brewing on the inside. Got it. But based on what I heard this morning in Sunday school, and based on what I know about all of us and just life in general, there is something in my life, there is something in your life that in the right place at the right time, we get excited about. And all I'm saying is I'm not talking about jumping pews and flying across. I'm not talking about that. But if you're going to tell me that you and I will be more demonstrative and more expressive over football, baseball, basketball, hockey, soccer, over somebody we watch it on TV, a movie that we watch, or something that happens or whatever, if we can do all that out there, then some of that should be translated in our relationship to God in light of what he has done for us. Every now and then, oh, when things are right and, and the song has touched your heart, the, the praise team and worship team was singing this morning about who God is, Jehovah, my provider, Jehovah, Nisi, all that. When you think about that, how can you not at least stand up or raise your hand? Talking about the God that's supposed to be on the inside of me and on the inside of you? We ought to be saying, thank you. Oh, that's who God is. That's all I'm saying. Fervent. In spirit. That's not, relates, that's not reserved for a certain denomination, Sister Celia. That's why I told him, I said, you know, when I was at Cedarville College, there was very few amens. Most people were sat. And if you heard it, if somebody did say amen, it was amen. To which I came from my church. To there, and I'm thinking, well, I can't be standing up saying, Sit! <laughs> because the first thing at that time 900 students would do would be, Who's the guy in the back doing all the screaming and hot? What's his problem? So I felt constrained at most times, like, Well, you know, this is what they do, you know, and in Rome, do as the Romans, but oh, man, sometimes that preacher would be so right on point. I could not help but want to say amen or say it or whatever. Because I, what he was saying was so much truth, how could I not? Amen? Fervent in spirit. And you've heard me say it, and I'll 
say it probably some more. If you don't come in on fire, there's no way the fire's going to be burning right now. If you've already been doused before you got here, well, don't expect me to take what, the, the six days or seven days of cold water being thrown on you every day, drowning in the cold water. There's nothing, and expect to light you on fire. Ain't nothing for me to do. And if you have any fire, if fire happens, it's going to be all of God. Go home, try this out, soak some wood, soak some whatever in some water, and then try to set it on fire. You cannot do it. But if the conditions are right, strike a match and whoosh. Amen? And we need the whoosh of the Holy Spirit every, when we come on Sunday morning. Well, how are we going to be a compelling church? How are we going to be a compelling community if we're going to act like the, the world is at, the end of the world is here? Woe is me. I have nothing to smile about. Life is hard, Pastor. You just don't know. This is it. I have nothing to smile about. My life is tough. You think you're alone? We all got things going on in our life. But God is a great God. You know how you eat an elephant? Thank you, sister. One bite at a time. Someone's got elephants in our lives. We can't eat it all at once. We got to break this thing down. And that's what God wants to do in your life. If you got such big elephants in your life that you know how you're going to get through it or how you're going to eat it, do it one bite at a time. Say, Lord, help me to devour this gigantic situation that's in my life. And guess what? Not guess, know what? Got to do it. You just got to believe him. Amen? Zeal. Fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. What is, your, what is your service? Let me ask that question. Let me ask the answer to me. What, where are you serving the Lord at? What are you doing? Hmm? He didn't save you to sin. He saved you to serve. So where are you serving at? Where am I serving at? What are you doing for the kingdom? It ain't about you. It's about the kingdom. He didn't save you to come and sit and, 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 and just come in and, uh, and go. Serve. Serve. Where are you serving? What's your ministries? What are you doing? Somebody says, we don't know what we're doing. We have no ministry. This is not rocket science. If you have a burden for young people, then you can serve them with young. If you have a burden for the senior citizens, then you can have a burden. Go to the senior citizens. If you have a burden for those in jails, then go to the jailhouse. If you have a burden, go to the hospital and visit the little babies or whatever. If you have a burden for those that are on drugs, there's the drug house. There's, there's all places, many places to serve. It's not always, always located just right here at 225. There's services everywhere we can go so that people will be known that we are the salt and the light of the world. I think we have a bad connotation that everything has to be within these four walls, and if, and, if, and if we don't come up with it, then we can't do anything. There's a lot of things to do. The issue is maybe we just don't want to do it. Serve. Amen? Yeah. God, do serve. It's all good stuff here. Rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer. You gotta pray all the time. I woke up this morning praying. Went to bed last night praying. Sometimes I hear my wife's alarm go off. I'm already up usually. And I'm just laying there praying. People come across my mind, pray for my immediate family, pray for church family members, pray for uh, different things that are going on, but be constant in prayer. Get in the car, get ready to travel, travel somewhere, pray. Lord, watch over us. Be, be a hedge of protection because if I, you may be the safest driver in the world. I ain't worried about you. 
I worry about that other person on the other, on the other side of the line. Amen? Fervent, constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Saints have needs. Now, here's the thing. We don't know you have needs unless you what? Tell us. Don't hold the church like they don't do anything. Well, okay. But if you have a need, how are we going to know that if we don't, if, if it's never expressed? We can't do something we don't know about. And a lot of people assume that we know when maybe some do, but I don't. I mean, I'm out of the loop on a lot of stuff. Well, you, you, you know. No, I did not know. Well, that happened. I said, you're right. That may have happened two weeks ago, but that doesn't mean I knew about it. Seek to show hospitality. Be hospitable. Amen? Something about hospitality means sometimes you got to put yourself out. We don't, like to, we don't like to be put out. Oh, my God, they're bringing, if I invite so-and-so, oh, they got all those kids and this and that. I mean, we come with every reason why we shouldn't do it. Bless those who persecute you. Oh, my goodness. Speak well of those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That's not what, that's, that's not what we do. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If somebody's had a great experience in their life, we ought to what? Rejoice. I rejoiced when I heard my son said he was going to pop the big question. Rejoice. Thank you, Jesus. Finally, thank God it's been a long time. Wait for you to do this, you know, rejoicing. I'm happy for him. Pray the best for him. Get the honor of marrying him and get the honor of counseling them. I mean, it's all good stuff. That's just one day. They got a whole lot of other days ahead of them. But I rejoice. But on the same token, weep with those that weep. When you hear bad news, if somebody has died or somebody's lost a job or things are happening in life, you know, it's like, wow, we need to pray. Or is there something we can do? Or where can, where can we come alongside and just say, hey, what is it, what is it that you need? See, I think the church, not just this church, but a lot of, we are so content on, on the inactivity of doing nothing. And if we really get about being about the church, you don't, to, you don't have to come up with things to do. There are a lot of things to do. Be what God wants us to be. Rejoice with when, 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 when Quentin got drafted, that was a great moment. When, when I saw him on TV up there at Green Bay doing this little, little show, I was like, my God, I told Sister Tammy, we're up at Cedarville College, she'll tell you. I, we talked for about an hour just talking about Quentin, and I'm saying, this, he's got to be, I know he says he can't communicate and doesn't like to talk, but he did such an excellent job. I see some things in him that down the road, when he gets tired of football, he's going to be able to go somewhere. He carries himself right, he, 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 he looks good, he's a handsome guy. So, hey, he already makes it on television. He looks good. He sounds good. He's able to do it. I was rejoicing with him and them. It's a great thing. I'm proud of him. Continue to pray for him. He's got all kinds of stuff bombarding him. So, but, you know, we lift him up. Rejoice and weep. Live in harmony with one another. In the immortal words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along? Some things, is it really worth what we're really out of harmony about? Seriously? In the scheme of life, in, in, in the battle of what, what we're going we're gonna to put our thumbnail, we're going to put our hammer and nail on that point. 
When really, honestly, and truly, it's not that big. I mean, if it's not about salvation, if it's not about saving people, if it's not about all, then some of this stuff, is it really that serious for us? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Not everybody looks like us. Not everybody smells like us. Not everybody, you know, there's some people that are... That, Society, maybe not you and I have said, but society says, eh, they're over there. Those are them, them kind of people. And guess what? We are all them kind of people. You know, somebody can say that about you. Oh, he's a, you know, or say that about me. He's, he's over there. You know, the little teenager that's trying to do their best to help you at McDonald's or Wendy's or whatever. You know, the little guys at the Walmart, do, you know. People like walk by the the janitors, the the, the garbage men. Nobody pays them. Nobody pays those people attention until there's a garbage strike, and then all of a sudden your garbage is piling up. And go, well, what's going on here? Otherwise, we don't pay attention to that stuff. We don't pay attention to the people who are behind the scenes. That no salt, sugar, does a lot of stuff. It just doesn't pronounce what it's doing, but you miss it when it's not there. This needs some. What is this? Oh. This needs some sugar. This needs a little salt on it. Add a little bit of taste. Amen? Amen. Live in harmony. Associate with lowly. Never be wise, he says. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of our. Just treat people right. That was one of the questions one of the young people asked at the, at the panel discussion. So... If gay marriage is wrong, what do you do if a gay person comes to your church and asks to be married? In light of we're supposed to treat everybody with respect and, and honor, how do you handle that? I said, we all are created with dignity and right. I may disagree with what their lifestyle is, but I give them the dignity and treat them right because they are a fellow creation of God. And if somebody was to come to me, I said, first thing, knowing if they're coming to me, my personal belief is I don't believe it. It's not biblical. It's not right. What the Bible talks about what marriage truly is. So it's totally wrong. That's where I'm at. I can't speak for everybody else. I can't speak for everybody on this panel. But for me, it's, it's a sin against God. It's wrong. It's not right. But they have the right to live their life. Now, in light of tolerance... What I find amazing is this. The same intolerance they're accusing me of is the same intolerance they're doing to me because they're trying to force me to do something that goes against my values and principles. So if they know this is where I'm at, they know this is where the church is at, then why would you honestly come to me and ask me to do this when you understand that that's not where I'm at? Amen? I have the right for myself and for the church to say, we do not condone and believe in this. But if that's where you are, so be it. I may disagree with it, and you may disagree with me, and I respect you for where you are at and go on, do what you got to do. But you can't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. I said, that's where we miss it at the church. I could be against abortion, but that doesn't mean I go out and shoot the abortion doctor. That doesn't mean I blow up the, 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 the clinic. 
That's not, two wrongs don't make a right. I can take my stand and say, I don't believe it. I, don't, I think it's wrong. But how do I going to reach them and ask the Lord to help me to give to them what the word of God says and for God to change their heart and mind to come to that which is right? And we don't live, we live in a world of relativism. Well, Pastor, that's right for you, but that may not be right for you. No, this is God's truth for everybody across the line. God is no respecter of persons, which means no respecter of the face. God doesn't look at black, white, rich, poor, social status, education. None of that, none of that impresses God at all. God just sees us as we are and says, no, you're wrong. And the Bible's pretty explicit on what it says. It's not kind of trying to hide it. It pretty much tells us what it is. I said, so my answer was, I don't think they will come to me because I said, I say that not just about that issue, but other things about right and wrong. People have come to me, they've come to us and say they want to get married in our church. And my first question is, why? You have no affiliation with us at all. Do you go to church? No, we don't go to church at all. So you want to come here to get married, but you have no affiliation with us, and you go to no other church at all. You know, my next question is, why? Why the church? You can go out to Lake Cowan, stand in front of the lake and get married. You can go to whatever little Being in a church doesn't make you any more married. I said, so why, why, why here or any other place? You have no affiliation with us. We just, we just always thought that being married in the church is what you're supposed to do. I said, well, no, not really. You can marry, I got married in my wife's front room at her mother's house, soon to be 31 years. So it's not about the place. It's about the commitment and where you are. And this is place. I said, so, yeah, I mean, if that's what you want, you know, well, we'll, we'll work on see what we can do. But I don't understand that. You have nothing to do with God at all, and yet you're telling me, it's ironic. And other things that come up. I'm consistent in all of this. I'm not inconsistent. It has nothing to do with rightness and wrongness. It has everything to do with, are you really thinking about what you're saying? And people don't, you know, some people say, well, you know, I never really thought about it that way. Well, that's why I'm here to help you try to think about that. Do not be haughty. Associate with lowly. Repay no one for evil. Avenge no one, avenge not ourselves, leave it up to God. Don't worry about vengeance. God will take care of that. Somebody does you, does you wrong, God will take care of it. You're his child. He's duty bound to do that. Amen? Amen? Why? He's just told you right there in the verse, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. Don't do it. I will take care of that. If somebody's doing you wrong, just treat them right. And if any vengeance, if any vengeance is to be done, don't you worry about getting even. Or getting back, leave it to me. I'll do it. And guess what? God's vengeance is pretty on time. He'll do it better than you and I ever could, because He knows where that, that individual may be. You might do something, think oh, I'm gonna get back here. Might do it. Oh, God says no, no, no. I know the button to push that's gonna really cause him to wake up. And uh oh, I may mess with the wrong person. I mean, when I was coming up, when Mike Tyson was in his glory, that's one man I did not, I would not want to fight. I never forget my wife and I was watching one of his fights, and it was over in less than 20 seconds. And I said, I would hate to pay all that money for a fight. And if I'm one of those big guys, I'd be like, fight's going to start. You know, in there, and you think you got a couple seconds, and they ring the bell. I think they ring the bell, and 10 seconds later, the fight was over. So if I had went over and said, hey, dude, can you, can you like my cigar? By the time he, 
nine, ten. What? What? I done spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to get here, and it's over? Yeah. Listen. Leave all that to God. We, 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 we worry about vengeance. We worry about repaying. God does that. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. No, I'm not feeding my enemy. That means he gets stronger to be able to do something against me. If he's thirsty, what? Give him something to drink. Are you kidding me? Why would I give him something to drink? I'm not going to feed my enemy, and I'm not going to give him something to drink. That's against what we're supposed This is war, I tell you. You don't feed your enemy. You don't give him water. You try to get rid of him. I know what Jesus said. Because if you be kind to those, the very people that, that you think are using against you, Jesus says, you know what you do? If you give them something to eat, you give them something to drink, you're heaping cold. If they've got anything, and if the Spirit of God is working in them at all, but if they even got some semblance of common sense, they're not going to understand why is he being nice to me when everything I'm trying to do is to get back at him. That's what the heaping coals means. Is that they sit there and go, all right, I did this, and they, they still... Why are they giving me something to eat? Why are they giving me water? Why are they being nice to me when everything I've ever done to them has been totally the opposite? I don't get it. Why would they, why would he do, why was he doing, why does he promote me and, 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 and act like, and, and it seems like he's, he's trying to have my best at heart when everything I've ever done was against him. He says, you're heaping coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. The world is evil. It's a bad place. There's nothing good. There's some semblance of good in this world every now and then. But the basic root is Satan has taken the minds and hearts of many people. That 13-year-old girl that was just killed just the other day by two people that were in college. One was an engineer. And you're thinking, an engineer? Do you think you have a little education? He, but no. And then he got his girlfriend, whoever she was, to go along with it. We're watching this campaign for president, regardless of what side of the fence you're on. All the backbiting and the talking and, and backstabbing and, and saying they said this and saying they said that. No, I didn't say that. Yeah, I said that. Man, it's cutthroat. And then you deal with just little old Wilmington. I ain't up on all the stuff, but I know there's enough, enough stuff going around that if I ask the right person, I can find out what people are saying and doing. Probably if I go to Facebook, I probably can find a whole lot of stuff. You know, all the, all the backstabbing and backbiting and fighting and, and really. And especially what hurts is when it's named and numbered among us. That's the bad part. I expect the world to act like the world, but when it's us, that makes it bad. That does not make us a compelling community, a community given by God. That's not what it does. Our divine viewpoint, and I'm going to come to close on this. Our divine viewpoint says we're released from jealousy. Released from jealousy. I can find, I can, I can fulfill, fulfill, I find fulfillment in being who I am rather than wanting to be someone else. My friendships are not distorted by status. I am awed by none and look down on none. I appreciate others for themselves without feeling they must be different 
or must be like me. This kind of love is not passive. Instead, it involves an aggressive reaching out to others. Why is it not passive but aggressive? Because it's against everything that we're about. We're about self. We're about promoting and doing. We're about my family, my situation. Try, we're, we're so busy trying to take care of our own circumstances that we really don't have time to worry about anybody else. And what Jesus is trying to get us to say, that in a, in a community that's been given by God, the love ought to be the permeating thing that transpires and, and, and supersedes, supersedes all other things in the church. It's out of our love. We talked about Romans 12, 13. It talks about share with God's people who are in need. Do we have needy people, needful people? Yes, we do. I told somebody the other day, the Bible says the poor we always have with us. For all those that are running on campaigns and trying to eliminate the poverty and trying to say that people, I said, listen, there's two things you need to understand. One, there's welfare for the rich and there's welfare for the poor. And on both sides, they all take advantage of each other, of, of the situation. Are there people who are taking advantage of my father's kitchen? Yes, there is. Do they need to be in line to get food? No, they don't. But they do it anyway because they say it's free. Well, because it's, free. it's for somebody that's needful of that. And when you and I take advantage of the system, we're taking something that somebody that in need may not get. But guess what? Good news, bad news, how you want to take it. The bad news is people on the other side that are rich are taking advantage of the system too. So, hey. Don't sit there and say, we're going to get rid of welfare. Well, if you're going to get rid of welfare for the poor, do it for yourself as well. Then that way we're all equal. I was sharing with a woman that's running for commissioner. Uh, I think it's Brenda Woods. Is that her name? Yes. She was out circling around, and she, I happened to be leaving the church, and she, we started talking. I said, you know what? I said, listen, people, people talk about the poor, this and that and the other. I said, I said, just the other day, my brother and I was talking to the councilman. I said, then another person was talking to a counselor. I said, you know what you all need to do? Because you know what I found ironic? My brother asked the question, so what do you, your counselor, what is it that you do? Yeah, I mean, I know you're a counselor, second ward, but what's your job description? So we walked around the block, and we were looking at some stuff, and came back up, and another person, hey, this is a counselor, nice meeting you. So what is it that you do? <laughs> I said, that should be something you need to take in consideration. What is it that, we know you're the councilman, we know that you're commissioner, what is your job, what, how you being a councilman is going to help me? How you being a commissioner is going to help me? How you being a mayor is going to help me? I mean, that's what you, what are you going to do? And that's what they want us to be. They want us to be who we are. I say I'm a Christian, well, what is that going to help me? How is that going to help me? Well, it helps you because you see before me a living proof of what God could do with a man, one boy, a girl that's willing to give their life to God. You see me that in spite of all the problems and circumstances I have, I'm willing to live from Jesus. My life is not perfect. My, I got problems up the yang yang. I got problems up the wazoo. But guess what? God is good. Amen? Oh, could it be better? Yes, it could be. But then on the other hand, it could be a whole lot worse. Man. Come on, saints. Let's get what let's get what they say, let's get right church and let's go home. It starts here. And I'll be honest, you may not like when I say this, but I'm really being sincere when I say it. And it's really, if you think about it, it's the truth. What is it about a dying world on the outside of these four walls that would compel them to come here? Why would they come? Answer the question, why would, why would they come? 
For what purpose, for what reason, is anybody that's on the outside of these four walls in this community which we live in, in South Korea's tradition and in one with it, what would compel them to wake up on a Sunday morning and just walk into our church? What is it about us that's compelling? Tell me, if you can answer that question, well, Pastor, this is what we, we've got and we're doing. Okay, so when you go fishing, Jesus said, be fishers of men, Brother Tony. All right? Do you just plop the line in the water? I don't think so. You got to know where the fish might be or where you believe they are. You got to have the right equipment to do the right things, and then you got to have the right bait on the, on the hook to allow them to say, to attract their attention. Because if you just drop a hook in the water, the fish is going like, what is that? That's a hook. Uh, over here, this guy's got little worms. He's got a little bait or whatever. The, the weedies, all that stuff they talk about. He's, he's done put something on there. Now, which would I rather have? The, just the hook that's sitting in the water? Or, wait a minute, there's a little, some dough on there. There's some, some worms on there or something. The, the, the attraction of the lure is bright. It's yellow. It's green. It's doing, it may not be real, but it gets my attention. That's all I'm asking. When we talk about a community again, my God, if we say we are the church, we say we believe God put us here for a purpose and for a reason. We know what that purpose and reason is for. We just read it. If that's who we are, then why are we not doing that? And not just this right here. That's for any church. But I'm only responsible for this one. Key to the Christian to life in a Christian community is love. L-O-V-E. Love must be sincere. We must be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We ought to live in harmony with one another. And we ought to overcome evil with good. We love to the extent that we understand his forgiveness. We love to the extent that we understand his forgiveness. That's what he told the woman. The reason why she loved much is because she had been forgiven much, and she understood what that forgiveness was. Maybe our problem is this. We don't understand the forgiveness that God has given to us. That's why our love isn't so great. Because if Jesus said it, if he's forgiven you much, you will love much. Nothing is too good to do for him out of our great love for him. But if you think your love is small, then maybe that's why we serve small. That's why we do small. That's why we think small. That's why we act small. But she got it. Nobody had to tell her how bad she was. She got it. She didn't need, that. She didn't need the Pharisee to say, well, she, you, know, you, know who, you know who's sitting right beside you doing all this, do you? She, she understood that. But she understood something even better. I have been given, forgiven all that I've ever done. And because of God's great forgiveness to me, I did not deserve. Do you think you deserve to wake up this morning? Really? That's what you think? That you, because you're so, we're so cute and we're so handsome and we smell good and we look good. and we, You think we deserve to get up this morning? You really think that? Well, let me tell you something. None of us deserve to get up this morning. And what we rightfully deserve was condemnation, the grave, sin, and hell. That's what we deserve. But God, in his great love for us, 
God in the auspices of time washed down to the fullness. In the fullness of time, Christ came to save us. Yeah, you're a bus tail wide open. Yeah, I'm a bus tail wide open. But God saved us. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. That's what our friends, that's what they deserve. They deserve death, the grave, and hell. But Jesus stepped in right on time and said, guess what? You don't have to go there. I've come that you might have what? Life. And not just live and exist, but life more abundantly. If you believe in me. Just got to believe in me. You're looking for satisfaction in drugs and in sex and in alcohol and in a job and in a wife and in a husband. And it will never satisfy. But I will. I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. It's just water. But Jesus says, I am living water. Amen. What is it you want? What is it you desire? Oh, families are messed up. Life is messed up. Husbands against wives. Wives against husbands. Children running and roaming, doing all the things that happen. And Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. You got your eyes on the wrong thing. And my burning I don't even have the right word to describe it, but we as Christians have been delivered. Oh, we might experience some things, but you don't have to stay there. And my problem, not just with this church only, but with we as Christians, is that we are content to stay where we're at and not realize the victory we have in Jesus. We are bigger than our circumstances. Because we serve a great big God. You don't have to stay where you're at. God, Jesus Christ, through his son, has delivered us. Well, do you believe it or not? That's where we're at. To love God is to love those around us. Look around. Take a moment and look around. To love God is to love those that are around us. And maybe the reason why you didn't take a time and a moment to look around is because you don't like those that are around you. If I don't see them, then I can't, I'm not responsible. This makes me think of, we got such a twisted view. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. This is what it says. 1 John 4, 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, you know what you are? You're a liar. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Don't say we're liars. I didn't say you were a liar. The word says you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also Love his brother. You have no choice if you're, if you're a child of God. You have to love me, and I have to love you if I'm saying I'm a child of God. Because if I'm not doing that, then I'm a liar. 
And the love of God is not in me. What I'm going to say is, you're not there to love God. It's to love those around us. This love is empowered not by lovability of others or our own goodness, but by, here's that word, supernatural forgiveness in Christ's cross. The love, this love is not empowered by the lovability of others. He's just so good. He's easy. Some people are easy to love. God wants us to love the people who are unlovable. See, it's easy to love somebody that's always doing something for you and it's reciprocal. They love me, I love them, they do this, I do that. Cool, we're cool. But when they don't do what we want them to do and they don't act like we want to act, or when they don't say what we want to say, then how much love do we have? It's not about the lovability. It's not about our own goodness. I'm a good pastor, pastor. I think I love everybody. God bless you. But that, what he's talking about is that supernatural forgiveness, is that supernatural forgiveness that we have in Christ's cross. Love for God turns to love for others. You love God? Don't raise your hand. Now I'm not looking up. Love for God turns to love for others. This is not in our own human strength, but in the supernatural strength of the one who loved us. And I don't know. He didn't do that, but on my notes, I got three exclamation points. The one who loved us first. Amen? So we love. Jesus says, a new commandment that I give to you. What was it? That we love one another as he has loved us. Do you love? Wasn't there a song called, Where Is Your Love? Yeah. See, Sister Tammy knows it. Where is your love? We have the forgiveness of God. His atonement. Today we talk about the love he has for us and the love we should have for one another. Amen? That's what's going to make us that community given by God. When I can love you no matter what you do, you can love me no matter what I do. Say, Pastor, you know, will there be disagreements and, and, and all that? Yeah. We're people. We all don't think alike. But we got to get beyond that and say, you know, the greater thing is we love one another. Amen? Somebody says, you know what? I'm growing to learn how to love. We all are growing to learn how to love better. Amen? God, it's been so good. Father, thank you for your word. Bless us. Keep us. We look at Romans chapter 12 and just to read those verses, maybe when we go back home, just read them again and see what the marks, that marks what we as believers ought to be about. We find ourselves weighed in the balances, come up wanting. But oh, we're so thankful that it's not my goodness or my strength, but what you've already done for me many years ago when I said yes to the call to be saved. And I'm still a work in progress. None of us are batting a, a thousand, nobody are batting a hundred. Each new day brings its own struggles, its own battles. But oh, I'm thankful that 
when I look back over my life, as short as it may be, I'm not what I used to be. And I'm not what I should be. But oh, I thank you that you are chipping away and working on me each and every day. My prayer for not just myself, but for your people is work on us day by day, moment by moment. And help us to be that community that's been given by God to be that compelling community that, that wants to be attractive not for the sake of compromise but for the sake of bringing glory, honor to you. Oh Father we thank you. Bring a sense of excitement in each one of our lives. Bring a sense of anticipation of just say Man, I don't know what God is doing, but I am certain he's doing a great work, and I just don't know what's going to happen. But when that blessing comes, when, when that explosion happens, when we all come together and we want to praise God and serve God and worship God and, and everything is, is right on point, what God's going to do, I want to be there to see the explosion, the excitement of a, of a group of people who just love to be in the presence of one another but better yet, love to be in the presence of God. Not for form or fashion, but for genuine love for God and love for one another. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.